0: Got, we got a mailing this week from our mortgage company. Uh, they wanted to help us out by giving us five uh, ways to maintain joy during a time of flux. And I want to share that with you. I figured I'm preaching on joy today, and this was a, a timely message. The first is to serve others. Good idea. And it, if you've ever done it, which I certainly hope you have, you realize that serving others helps you have a deeper sense of satisfaction. Practice an attitude of gratitude. Look on the bright side of things rather than on the negative side of things, and that helps us feel more content. Stay connected, number three. Stay connected even though we can't be physically together or um, we are not to be physically together. There are ways that we can connect with each other. We have Zoom and FaceTime. One person on the radio this week said what he does on Saturday mornings is to set up his camera, set up the FaceTime, start making his Saturday morning pancakes with the kids around the table, and the FaceTime is with his parents, who then become part of the uh, interaction there in his home. There are creative ways to stay together even when we are apart. Fourth, prioritize self-care. Look after your health. Make sure your sleep patterns are good. Watch your diet. Make sure to incorporate exercise into your life. And fifth, try something new, maybe a new sport, maybe cooking and maybe, not right now, but gardening. Or maybe you can do some gardening inside. The bottom line, the article said, was that joy comes from within. Trust your feelings and discover what brings you joy and then do it. These are all good ideas. But Psalm 98, I think, gives us an even better idea. Not that we give up on these things but that we add in the truest source of joy, which doesn't come from inside of us, but comes from outside. Psalm 98 points to an outward source of joy, our creator, the one who is our savior and rescuer, who has made great promises to us and will fulfill those promises. This Psalm 98 is separated into three sections. The first section, verses 1 through 3, and then 4 through 6 is the next section, and then 7 through 9 is the third section. I'm going to look at section 1 first, uh, and what section 1 focuses on is the why, the why of why we should have joy in God. Uh, we start out with sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. The marvelous things that God has done, including creation, including making you. And you can't go and look at the night sky on a cloudless night and not have a sense of how marvelous the creation is. And you don't even have to go that wait till nighttime. Just consider how our human bodies work and the amazing ways that we can see and taste and smell and hear and feel and interact with each other and think and understand. His right hand and holy arm have worked salvation for him. It's very interesting, and you might wonder, why is he preaching on the Psalms the Sunday before Christmas? And I will tell you, this psalm is about Christmas. In a sense, the word salvation is found three times in these first three verses. And the the word salvation is Yeshua, which is the word that the name given to Jesus. In the Hebrew, his name was Yeshua, which means salvation. He is our salvation. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. Does that not describe the arrival of Jesus Christ? He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. In Jesus Christ, God brings himself into our reality, into all the earth so that we can, even those who were not part of the covenant community at that time, can then see the salvation that God is bringing to us. Verse two, the Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness. And it's important to understand what that means. Now, we, I think, because of those people who seem self-righteous, don't always appreciate the term righteousness. But in scripture, it is a beautiful picture of everything being right with the world. God's righteousness means that God understands the world, the cosmos, and you well enough to make everything right in the cosmos and for you. This is a glorious thing that God has done for us and God has done for the world. God reveals his love, his faithfulness, and his salvation. Section two tells us how we should praise God. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the king. It's I love how if you, if you look at this carefully in verses uh, five and six, we start out with the harp and you can imagine harp music. And you can compare the sound of the harp with the sound of the trumpet or the ram's horn. You can pr- compare the sound of singing with the sound of shouting. It, it, it builds, right? It starts with the harp and it goes to shouting with the ram's horn. This joy wells up naturally within us and overflows and becomes unstoppable. And it becomes louder and louder because it is so glorious. So how should we praise? We should praise jubilantly. And I looked up the word jubilant and it means triumphant, euphoric, ecstatic, and joyful. That means it, it just comes bubbling out. It is fullness. Now, I don't know if you know the name Julia Sweeney. She was on Saturday Night Live a number of years ago and has been on some, some shows more recently. I find her really humorous. She has great facial expressions and excellent comedic timing. Uh, And I really liked her years ago um, because of all those things, but also because she was a believer. She was a Christian. But in 2005, she turned from the faith and she, um, she wrote this. I'm not living my life as a person who accepts the natural world. The whole idea that there's a God who cares whether people believe in him or not. Like, why would God care if people believed in him or not? That was one of the many things that I found so shocking reading, reading the Bible. First of all, how insecure God is. I mean, God is so insecure he needs everyone to say, you're number one, you're number one over all the other gods, you're the top God. And like, it's the most insecure character. C.S. Lewis, though, understood God's call to praise him very differently, and I think much more correctly. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy, because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is, to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur, and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. We were created to have fellowship with God. Our hearts yearn for something. And that something is this fellowship with God, this enjoyment of the glories of God. And praise then, worship then, is simply expressing what is in the heart. It is not that God is sitting in heaven waiting for you to praise because he needs your praise, but because you need, you need him. And when you find him, your natural response is to praise. I'm sorry for Julia Sweeney that somehow she missed that. In this second section, too, we find that God is the king. In verse 6, before the Lord, the king. Now, we live in a democracy, and we think that that's a better form of government than um, a kingdom. We think it's better to have a vote than a monarch. But that is because we know that monarchs, single people, cannot be fully trusted. And so we spread it out so that More people have the ability to contribute to the system of government, and our government was formed with checks and balances, understanding that we should not trust any one person, and we need to have a system that keeps it all in place. The reason for this is that people can't be fully trusted, but God can. So when Scripture calls God the king, it's not like a king who can't be trusted to be fair and just. It's not like a king who one day will lash out in anger and the next day will seem to be fair. God is the eternal king and exhibits his righteousness. Everything is right with the world. God creates a kingdom of righteousness, God's reign establishes goodness and rightness such that all is right with the world. So while we may disdain the idea of a human monarchy, some of us, we can glory in the idea of a divine monarchy, the divine kingship, where God ruling over creation will bring form and order, recreation and reorder. It's interesting in Genesis, in the creation story, that God brings order out of chaos. That's part of what Genesis 1 tells us. But then, in Genesis 3, disorder returns through sinfulness. God will reestablish order and rightness in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, section three tells us who we should praise, or I mean, who should praise the sea and all that is in it, the land and all that is in it, rivers, mountains. Clap your hands. The whole creation, the whole creation, not just uh, those of us who can do so consciously, but rivers and streams and oceans and the fish, and the animals, and the trees, everything, praising God. This sounds a little strange to us, but we might get some uh, understanding of it from Romans chapter 8, where we read this. I consider, Paul writes, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, not only so but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved but hope that is seen is no hope at all For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We live in a time of waiting for the glory of God to be revealed, for the creation to be recreated into God's will, God's plan, which is glorious and wondrous. Psalm 98, uh, as you look at the three different sections, it's sort of fun, Uh, different commentators find different um, themes of each section, and I I think the the ones who um, said what I said are the ones that are correct, the the most correct. The first section about why to praise God, second about how to praise God, and the third section about who should praise God. Uh, But there's also a sense in the first section that The psalmist is looking to the past, looking to the ways that God has moved previously. And then in the second section, with how to praise God, he's saying, this is how you do it now. And then in the third section, we look at the future judgment of God. And so there's a future sense in the third section. In the first section, the scope is Israel, remembering what God has done for Israel. The second section opens it up to all the earth all those who people really on earth and then the third section brings it to the whole cosmos not just uh, people but inanimate objects as well this hope this this joy is a glorious wind that just keeps building and building and building and brings us greater and greater fulfillment and that's the sense we get uh, through reading through this, uh, through this glorious psalm. Section three, once again, God does come through Christ to judge the earth. And we say, well, <laughs> I, I've been to court, or maybe not. But if you have, usually if you are um, the defendant, it's not a joyful experience. So we say, why, why, is, why are we called to joy? Because God is coming to judge well, it's because with his judgment, everything that is wrong will be made right. His judgment is not because. He does not love, but it is an expression of his love so that we can finally experience life as it was created to be lived, not under the cloud of chaos, not under the cloud of hurt and pain and frustration, but in glorious enjoyment of God, of God's creation, and of relationship with God and with each other, and even, yes, with ourselves. And that is another thing that I want to talk about with what joy does for us. Many people think that, or would assume that the opposite of joy is anxiety, or I mean is sadness, but more accurately, it is anxiety. Perfect love casts out fear, perfect joy casts out anxiety. If you know with certainty that God is good and God is working his purposes in this world, your anxiety is gone. Many people equate joy with happiness, but joy is not happiness. it's similar in a sense, but happiness is circumstantial and fleeting. It lacks purpose. Joy is deep, abiding, eternal, and it gives us purpose. It, allow, it changes our whole life. Happiness it changes our life for a time, and then something might happen and steal our happiness. So the closest cousin of joy is not happiness, but confidence. Confidence in knowing that God is good and God is working out his purposes, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. What a glorious thing that is. And it should overflow. That idea that truth should overflow within us and give us a depth of confidence like no one else has because we have a deep sense of joy, a deep sense that God will make all things right and even now God is working within us to make things right so as one commentator says don't you don't need to take the bait of fear and pessimism that permeates the world around us but trust in the glory of God this Psalm was the inspiration for the the carol, Joy to the World. Now um Isaac Watts did not write uh this um the hymn, Joy to the World, as a Christmas song, but just as a reflection on the fact that Joy comes because God is going to reign. But it became a Christmas song because God uh, revealed himself first in Jesus Christ, born uh, in Bethlehem, and then will, he will return. And listen now to the words of this song and see how it reflects so well the, the themes of Psalm 98 Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns, let us our songs employ, while fields and floods and rocks and hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. A verse that's not in the um, version you're gonna, we're going to sing next, uh, but is important. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing, blessings flow far as the curse is found. Everything that has been cursed will be uncursed he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love i pray that you have joy this christmas season no matter what is happening in the world around us because we know that god's rightness will come and his love already abides in our hearts through the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit.